The John Morris Show. Your life on code. This is a podcast for web designers and developers. We talk about career advice, industry trends, motivation, and yes, sometimes technical coding. If you hear something during the show that makes you want to leave a comment, call 515-344-3163 and leave a message. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show. It is Tuesday, April 22nd. Now if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I am a day late and I apologize for that. But yesterday I actually was doing some in-person training so wasn't able to get the podcast out the door. Um, so, but here I am today and ready to rock and roll. And in this episode, I'm actually changing up the format a little bit. So normally I spend the whole podcast talking about a single idea, but I've come to realize lately that uh, there's a lot of different people in a lot of different stages of their coding career with different um, concerns or different Folk, uh, having a different focus at, at, at the same time. So I want to kind of try to cover a number of different things to, to, to give everybody a little bit of what they're after. So in this episode, again, we're going to change up the format and I'm going to talk about three distinct things. So I'm going to talk a little bit about web design. So primarily HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And then I'm going to talk about web development. So primarily PHP and MySQL. And then Finally, I'll talk a little bit about the marketing and branding. So you'll get a little bit of every every single piece of what you really need to know and do to, to be an effective coder. All right, so if you haven't listened to the podcast before, uh, this is a weekly podcast that I usually do every Monday. And if you would like to learn more about the show, see po- uh, past episodes and subscribe to the podcast, you can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash John Morris show. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in to the first section. And so we're going to talk about, uh, this is the web design section. And in this uh, episode, I want to talk about something that I know I've never talked about and maybe you haven't really heard of before. You probably do it a little bit uh, and, and have the basic idea, but maybe never explicitly looked at it. And what it is is called a separation of concerns. And I want to talk about what that is and, and then how, why it's important and then how you go about doing it. So, you know, the simple example is I remember, in fact, when I was back uh, creating, when I first started out, uh, if you haven't heard the story, I used to create all the websites I created using Microsoft front page, which was, it's kind of like Dreamweaver, but, uh, not nearly as advanced or, or worked as well. But uh, for what I was doing, it, it worked pretty well. And, it, you know, I could go in there and use drag and drop to build websites and, and so forth. And so I used front page primarily. The problem with front page is that it was uh, the way it worked is it, it wasn't based off of CSS styling. <laughs> it was old tables and then all the styling was added inside of the actual elements as style uh, inside style parameters and so forth and so when you build uh, a web page then generally or a website maybe you have a five or ten page website you'd create one page at a time and I'd literally have to take the code from one and I'd have to move it over completely copy all of it move it over to another page 
copy it over there and then change the parts of that page that I wanted uh, to change. And as you know, uh, that became a problem when I needed to go back and make changes to the way a particular site worked because then I would have to go into every single page and I'd have to update it. All right, so that's that's kind of the dilemma that we're looking at or that's an uh, um, an example of one type of dilemma that you can look at when you're talking about separation of concerns. What a separation concerns is, is it's separating out the main things that, that you need to do or the main things that need to come together in order to, to create a web page. And so it's important because, well, for a few reasons. First off is what's called encapsulation. And that is taking, uh, having a single idea in a single place. So let's take, for example, your uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So you want to have your HTML in one place. You want to have your CSS in another place. And you want to have your JavaScript uh, in another. You want to have them all uh, as individual pieces. And again, one of the big reasons why you want to do that is because you want to uh, when you're working on the HTML, the content, the structure part of it, you want to be able to do that in one spot and not necessarily have to uh, have the, the the presentation, the the styling, and the behavior all intermixed. Now, it seems fairly common today because uh, it's been pushed so hard, but you may be doing it and not knowing why, but there was a big push in the developer community because all of the styling and presentation in the past used to be in style tags or as parameters uh, or attributes of HTML tags. So you didn't have a CSS style sheet. All of that was done uh, inside of the actual HTML tags. And then on top of that, you would also have your JavaScript. If you're using like pure JavaScript, uh, you would add that into your HTML tags as well. So you may have like an on-click event or on-hover or whatever. You may have seen these before uh, in old code or even in some newer code that's done incorrectly where you see uh, the actual JavaScript as a part of the HTML tag. And so you can imagine as you start to put all of this together, having the HTML, the CSS, or the, the, the styling and the... Uh, JavaScript all inside the HTML tags uh, and you have to then code that and when you need to make changes you have to change all of it and so forth. You can see how messy uh, that can begin to get. So again you want to separate all of those things so that they're easier to work with so that when you need to work with HTML you can work with HTML. When you need to work with CSS you can work with CSS and when you need to work with JavaScript you can work with JavaScript and that's why we have it set up the way we do these days where we write our HTML and use classes and IDs uh, to then help us style that using CSS and also help us target it in, in uh, JavaScript or uh, what I use jQuery. All right, so that's the first big reason why you want to uh, uh, focus on a separation of concerns. The second is modularity. So what it allows you to do when you separate them like that is now your page or your website or what you've built is a lot more modular meaning let's say I want to change the styling of the site well I can I don't have to go in to the HTML and go through all of the tags and change the styling how I want it to look instead I can just go into my style sheet 
and I can change my style sheet, style sheet, completely change it out. And now the, 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 the presentational look can look completely different without me having to mess with any of the HTML. And of course, that's the same idea with JavaScript where you can completely change out a JavaScript file and change the way the behavior of the site, the way it functions. Um, and it makes it just a lot easier for you to, to work with your sites and, and bring them together. And then the the last reason that we do that is what we call information hiding, meaning uh, smoothing the the, the uh, concern interaction by providing interfaces between them. So you know a good example would be you, you're using classes and IDs in HTML. So you're providing a way for the two to interact with one another. Uh, in a simple way, in a way that uh, is, is a lot easier to, to work with as opposed to trying to put all of that information into the HTML tags themselves. All right, so those are the three kind of big reasons why you want to do this. Now, the, the how do you do this is there's a number of different methods out there, but the one that I like to use, the one that's really common, is what's called the content presentation and behavior model. And so you could think of it essentially as content being primarily HTML, uh, presentation being CSS, and then behavior, of course, being JavaScript. So when you create your websites, you want to keep your content or your HTML completely separate from your CSS, which is completely separate from your JavaScript. And doing that allows you to, to, to keep all of your concerns separated and allows you to create websites that are a lot more modular, a lot easier to manage, a lot easier to to update, uh, a lot more scalable, and and so forth. And so, uh, again, this this is maybe something that you're familiar with, but if not, what I want to give you here is the reason why behind why we do this, so that when you sit down to build your websites, you actually understand why you're doing it that way, and, and you um, resist the temptation to then. To, to break or go against that separation of concerns and to go in and, and style something directly in HTML tag or use JavaScript directly in an HTML tag. So that's the reason why we do that. So if you've never heard that before, uh, hopefully that's something that helps you to understand why we do that and, and gives you a clear idea of what you need to do when you're building your websites. Hey guys, John here. You know, a few years ago, I was really struggling to get clients for my web design business. And that was even though I had a pretty killer portfolio, I thought, and I had always made the clients that I worked with super happy uh, on the projects I worked with them on. I still seemed to struggle to win clients on the freelance sites like Elance and Odesk. In fact, it was becoming a little bit of a major problem because I was going broke because I kept getting underbid on those freelance sites. And I remember I used to lay, lay awake at night racking my brain because I knew that there had to be some way to get the kind of clients I wanted and make the kind of income that I was after. So then in a kind of fit of desperation, I started using some marketing techniques that I had learned from my days selling shoes in the mall. And man, suddenly things really started to change. I started winning more and more jobs on Elance and Odesk, and my big business began to really take off. And finally, I felt like I had control, and that I could get hired for any project that I really wanted. 
So eventually I applied those techniques to my entire business. And now I don't even go on those freelance sites anymore because I have more clients coming to me than I can even handle. In fact, I turn down these days more work than I accept. And if I need to, I can quickly drum up any new business whenever I want. And that's all while working a heck of a lot less than I did before and making a lot more money than I did before. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to share that information with you. I'd like to share with you what I learned that helped me to transform my coding career. So what I want you to do is head on over to johnmorrisonline.com and right at the top, you're going to see a web form where you'll be able to subscribe to my mailing list. I want you to head there and subscribe to that mailing list right now and I'm going to send you over time the information that I learned that helped me transform my coding career and start making the kind of income that I wanted to make all while working a lot less hours and being a lot less frustrated. Right, so head on over to johnmorrisonline.com, complete that form to sign up to the mailing list, and I'll start sending you that information so you can transform your coding career just like I did. The John Morris Show, your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, and in this segment we're going to talk about the web development portion uh, of the show, and in this episode, I want to talk about uh, uh, the MVC pattern or model view controller. I've been actually getting a lot of questions about this, not some specifically about M- MVC, and then some specific or some more generally about applica- application design and where do I start when I'm getting ready to build an application. And so the answer to that question is, you want to work with a software pattern. And so there's a lot of different software patterns out there. And what they provide you is they provide you with a framework for creating your application. And so there's a really good book that uh, a friend of mine gave me. And I know I don't normally talk about books, but this is actually a really good one. And it's actually an easy read. But it's called uh, Head First Design Patterns. And what it does is it actually walks through a number of different design patterns and shows you you their advantages, disadvantages, when and why you might want to use one or the other. And just gives you a really good understanding of how to go about building your applications, what to do first, you know, how to, how, how to build it and so forth. And so in this, uh, in this segment, I'm going to talk specifically about the model model view controller one, because it seems to be really popular now. And uh, I, again, I've been getting a lot of questions about it. So again, it's a software pattern. It's one of many. And the idea behind it is to, it's almost kind of like a separation of concerns. It's, it's about separating out your, your application into, uh, smart parts and making it a little more modular and allowing different pieces of your application to focus on different things and only those things. Uh, and so, uh, model, or MVC stands for model view controller and those are essentially the different parts. So uh, we'll just kind of cover each of those three uh, in turn. So the first is what's called uh, your model. And so the model is really what handles the majority of your business logic. It's the thing that interfaces with your database uh, and controls all of the interaction in terms of 
you know, storing data and all the different business logic. It, it, it deals with, um, you know, the state of the application. So most applications allow users to interact with them in some way. And as the user, uh, user interacts with the application, it changes the state of that application. Well, the model is what what handles all of that on the back end and, and kind of lets the controller and lets the views view portions know that something has changed in terms of the state and then uh, then the presentation of the application can be changed based off of that. You know, so a simple idea might be, let's say you have a form on your site that collects information for, for something. Well, when some a user first lands on that uh, page, it's in a certain state. It's in an un, uncompleted state or incomplete state. Then as the user fills out that information and hits submit, that the, the pressing of that submit button actually changes the state of the application because now you go from being in an incomplete, uh, a not completed state to a state where it is completed. Uh, and so the model uh, is going to handle the majority of taking that information and doing with it whatever that you, you do with it, whether it's stored in a database, send an email, or so forth. Um, the views then, the second part, it handles the front end display. So it would handle displaying the 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 form it would handle if after they submit the form displaying some sort of thank you message or, or whatever you're going to do after that and it reacts to what uh, the model it's controlled by the controller everything's controlled by the controller but ultimately it reacts to a change in state which is communicated by the model so for example when you press the submit button the model is going to be given that information it's going to say stored in a database once that information is stored, it's going to send a response back to the controller and the controller will tell the view, okay, now we're in this state. And so the view knows based, okay, I'm in this state. So now this is the view that I need, or this is what I need to present uh, or, or output to, to the user. Okay. So the view is where you're going to write your HTML and all of those things to, to prepare the view for for the the end user to actually look at and then finally the controller the controller is really the thing that that makes everything happen it's it interacts with both the model and the view in order to it, it basically is kind of like smoothing concerns between uh, that we talked about in an earlier segment it's what allows the two to interact with each other without having to be together in the same place okay so your controller is kind of the overall uh, thing that 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 does all of the work or does all of the handling of uh, everything that your application does. All right, so that may not like initially make sense to you, but here's what here here's what I think is most helpful uh, with working with this. The way that I like to do this is when I create my application, I like to create the controller first, and uh, you know. Depending on how complex it is, I'll, I may use pseudocode or I may not. But I like to make the controller first because that is ultimately the controller's handling everything. So the controller is essentially going to uh, writing the controller first allows you to actually logically lay out your application first. You're not coding all of the stuff behind the scenes to actually do the saving of something in a database or retrieving from a database, but you know that okay, when this form is submitted, I need to send that 
uh, I need to store that in the database and then I need to return a certain presentation. So you can actually write all of that code for the most part uh, in your controller without having and having it call methods from your model and your view. You can call all those methods and lay it out up front and get a good framework of how your application is going to work. And then once you have all that in place, then you know exactly what model, uh, models you need to build and what views you need to build. So you know exactly how, uh, what code you have to write because it's all laid out inside of the controller. And so then you just create however many classes you need to create uh, in order to, to make it work for the model and make it work for the view. Now, in terms of laying this out, uh, you know, file-wise, generally what you want is you want one class that does, handles one thing. So, you know, for example, if you're, uh, you, you have uh, something that needs to interact with the database, you would want that class to do just that, interact with the database and only do that. You know, uh, if you have uh, some sort of theme that you're using on the front end, then you want that and you have, you know, maybe a single page or a category list page. You really want the category page to only handle ca or a category class to only handle categories, a single view to only handle the single view and so forth. And again, it allows you to so that when you're working on your project, you have one thing in one place. You can work on that one thing uh, and then. Uh, you don't have to bounce around between all of the different parts of your particular application. So it, again, it allows you to make it more modular, which is important so that you can move pieces around a lot easier. It also allows you, you know, to, to, um, easily update what you're working with and be able to maintain, uh, your, your project long term. All right. So that's, model view controller software pattern. That's one way that you can go, go about building uh, your applications. Hey guys, John here. Real quick, I just wanted to ask you, do you have a burning question that you really would love to have answered? Something that's been holding you back or frustrating you or keeping you from getting where you want to go when it comes to coding, when it comes to building your coding career? If you've got a question like that, then I would love to answer it for you. I would love to remove that roadblock from your path and allow you to con continue to sprint down the path that you're on to being a successful coder. So here's what I want you to do. If you have that kind of question, then I want you to give a call to 515-344-3163 and ask me your question. When you do, I'll obviously listen to it. And then I will try to answer that question live on the show here and give you the answer that you're after and remove that roadblock from in front of you so that you can continue to go down your path to coding career success. All right, so if you have one of those questions, again, call 515-344-3163, and I'll be more than happy to answer it for you. Thanks. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show. And in this last segment, I'm going to talk about marketing and branding yourself as a coder. Ultimately, how to get clients, how to get paid to code. And in this segment or this episode, we're going to talk about 
how to get started. This is a big question that I've been getting since I've been putting more information out about marketing and branding is, yeah, I know I need to market and brand. I know I need to be getting myself out there, but where do I start? What do I do first? And so I'm going to cover just a couple things that I think you should start doing uh, right away in order to to start getting clients. The first is if you're not on a site like Elance or Odesk, then you really need to get on one of those sites. Now, understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying those sites are the end-all, be-all. I'm not saying that those are going to be what you want to build your career around. Um, I'm not saying you necessarily even have to uh, be on those sites to, to freelance long-term. However, if you have no clients, you haven't built up any reputation, you have you know, essentially starting from scratch, then those sites can really help you to get where you want to go a lot faster. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, it's just a huge marketplace for people that are looking for uh, coders. Now, obviously, you're going to have to compete with all those other coders, but there's so much work coming through a lot of those sites that it's really easy, pretty easy to get a client or two. And that's all you really need to start off is just get a client or two and, and, and start working with them and get a better idea of what it is that you, you want to do long-term with coding. And so, again, the first thing is to just get on those sites. And what I would do is they have one of the things that makes it really nice to create some instant credibility is they have a kind of rating system on there where you can actually take tests and they will score your tests and give you a rating that's displayed on your profile based off of those tests. Now, uh, it seems like a simple thing, but that that allows you to be able to display your expertise and show people what you're good at and how good you are at it uh, without you having to do really anything else. And I mean, I know from experience, uh, having helped coders start from scratch like this, that that, that kind of stuff actually matters. Clients do pay attention to it, uh, and it does allow you to bid on projects that you other, otherwise wouldn't be able to bid on um, if you didn't have, have taken those tests. And so uh, that's the first thing I would do. Get up on Elance or, or Odesk or one of the other freelance sites. I, I generally just recommend Elance. But get up, get on those, fill out your profile, Take some time filling out your profile. Tell people what it is that you you really do and what you have to offer, and, and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Tell them what what you're passionate about, what you know, what makes you tick, what what things you value, and so forth. Uh, and and really try to to connect with potential clients emotionally. A lot of people go on there and are just very logical and say, "I know HTML, CSS, and PHP." Well, everybody knows that stuff. I mean, that doesn't tell me anything. Get on there and tell me about you. And in fact, on Elance, you can even make a YouTube video that you display with your profile. I would suggest getting on there and doing that. You know, it, it just gives you more, more, the more advantage you can stack in your favor by taking tests, filling out your profile fully, doing a video. Uh, when you go to bid on projects, the clients look through that stuff and you're a lot more likely to, to be able to land clients. The second thing that I would do then is I would start creating or building my portfolio. Now, you may say, one of the things that I get a lot is people say, well, you know, I don't have any clients, so how do I build a portfolio? Well, a portfolio is about showing what kind of work you can do. So you can build stuff, and it doesn't have to be for a client. You can build something and then put pictures of it up on Elance and say, hey, I built this. 
you know, and maybe even have a website where that's displayed live that people can click through to and they can actually interact with what you've built live. Put that stuff up there. Build, start building stuff and it doesn't have to be for a client. Just build something and then put that into your portfolio. Then eventually as you get clients, just make sure that you're always capturing uh, what you've built and, and that you're able to talk about it and post pictures if, if that's a, applicable and, and, and put that stuff into your portfolio. But a portfolio is one of the big things that uh, a client is going to, to look at because what you say you can do is one thing, but if you can actually show me and let me see it firsthand and even better, let me interact with it, then that goes a lot, lot further in, in terms of convincing me to, to hire you. So get on a freelance site, start building your pro- portfolio and putting that, uh, all these sites have places where you can add pictures for your portfolio. Start putting those things up on uh, that site. And then, and, and honestly doing just that, you should be able to get some clients that way. You should be able to you know, get pe- some people to hire you. Now, I think it's okay when you first start out to make less money than what you want to make or what you think you should make. A good example is, you know, I spent, when I was working construction, you know, I spent, and I spent years, uh, making 10, $15 an hour. And that was good money for me at that time. And, you know, I worked my butt off to earn that money. But if you think of 10 to $15 in like in the coding world, people, (laughs) that's not very much. People would be like, uh, that's really low. I, you know, I should make more than that, etc. Well, when uh, I, I had my little brother first start out, I'm a little different because I've been coding for a number of years before I jumped on Elance. But my little brother is probably was in the same position a lot of you were at, where he was doing coding, but he never taken on any clients, and he he went out on Elance. He started out charging twenty five dollars an hour. Now that's really low for a coder. That's dirt cheap for a coder, but for him. That was more money he'd ever than he'd ever made in his life per hour. So that's the perspective that you need to put on it. I mean, look at what you would make now if you went to work. If the the best job that you could reasonably get, how much would it pay you? Fifteen twenty an hour. I mean, maybe it's more. I don't know. But look at your actual situation, and you know, if you need to charge that price, would you rather be getting paid? You know. $10 an hour or $15 an hour to code or to go do something that you hate doing. I mean, you might as well do what you love doing and make the same money and then be able to over time charge a lot more. I can tell you if you're charging 10 to $15 an hour and you do good work on Elance, you're going to get a lot of work. I can tell you that right now. I mean, that's a low, low price. So think about that in terms of your situation and would 10 to $15 an hour be a lot of money for you? Would $25 an hour be a lot of money for you? You know, so you can start out at really low prices in order to be able to get clients. Now, understand you're not going to stay there forever. Once you get three or four, I would say once you get three clients, raise your price. Because if you're getting three clients at, say, $15 an hour, most clients are going to give you about, you know, five hours a week or, or so. So, I mean, that's that's seventy five dollars that you're going to be making work per client. You're going to be making, you know, two two fifty uh, a week. So you'd be making around a thousand dollars a month uh, extra income. So you know, once you reach that point, then you can really start to to turn up the amount that 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 you 
uh, charge and you just, your reason for it is I have so many clients, I have to raise my prices so that, you know, I can serve, uh, serve the clients that I need to. If, if I take on more clients, that means each client gets a little bit degraded service because, uh, that's just more things I have to try and manage mentally. So again, get on there, you know, uh, get your portfolio on there. And if you have to charge a little bit lower price in order to get clients initially to get some work and then raise those prices, uh, as you go. All right. And then the last thing that I would recommend that you do is you do a little bit of research on your ideal customer. So you need to figure that out what that is first, but the thing that you want to do long-term, the clients that you would hire or that would hire you to do that, Start looking and researching what kind of information they are are looking for that's related to you know their primary business. What's the type of of information they're after? So it, a good example is what I do. I build membership sites for people. So the kind of content they're after is how to be good, how to build a good membership site. So to attract those people, then I would put out content that is related to building a membership site and and just share what I know about building membership sites. Obviously, I have to know uh, stuff about building membership sites. So if you don't know that information, start focusing on learning that stuff and getting good at it and then start putting out content related to that. The reason you want to do that is because those people are actively searching for that content. And, when, and so there's a better chance that when they are, they'll find you. And when they find you, they'll see, oh, you also happen to be an expert at building membership sites. Gee, I wonder who I'm going to hire to build my membership site. So that's why you want to get out there and produce uh, content that targets, that is designed to serve the your ideal client because it creates a uh, that's ultimately the idea of attraction you're attracting them to you and you're doing it through content and then a percentage of them will see that you also offer you know you offer coding services and they're a lot more likely to hire you if they've consumed your content liked your content and, and, and have learned from you right so those are the three things that I would do immediately to, to get started. Uh, again, get on one of the freelance sites. Uh, I would recommend Elance. Start building your portfolio and start producing content for your ideal customer. If you do just those three things, I can bet in six months to a year from now, you'll have more work. If you do a good job, again, you have to be good at what you're doing. But if you do a good job, you'll have more work than you know what to do with. You'll be turning away people. You, you'll you just, you'll almost be a little bit overwhelmed at how much <laughs> work you get offered and that you could take on. Uh, and you'll be making some serious money doing it. So those are the ways to get started with marketing and branding yourself. Hey guys, John here. Hey, I wanted to ask you real quick. Are you on Twitter if so, I would love to connect with you. I'm looking to connect more and more with the people that listen to this podcast and follow me online and to help you get further down your coding career. And Twitter is a really awesome way to go about doing that. So if you're on Twitter, then go ahead and do a search for me. It's John Morris, or you can find me at JP Morris. And go ahead and follow me. And then if you have a 
burning question that you would like for me to answer or you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or a tutorial topic, then go ahead and send that over to me so I can take a look and help you uh, with your problem or help you get further down your coding career with the tutorial. All right, so head on over to twitter.com slash jpmorris. You can find me there. Be sure to follow me and then let me know what questions you have, what suggestions you have, and so forth. And let's let's connect over on Twitter. All right, appreciate it. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. All right, everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show. Again, thanks for watching or listening to this episode. Uh, if you want to get all past episodes for the John Morris Show, you can head over to johnmorrisonline.com slash John Morris Show. You can also find me on Twitter at JP Morris, uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Morris Online, Google Plus, plus.google.com, plus sign John Morris Online, and also over at johnmorrisonline.com. All right, so hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you think of the new format. Format. Head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash John Morris Show. Click through to this latest podcast and let me know what you think. Or you can tweet me or write me on Facebook, whatever you think. But let me know what you think of the new format uh, and appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you next time.